Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 343, Building a Food Forest with guest Jim Gale. In today's episode, we are going to discuss a unique approach to sustainability and food security by turning your lawn into a food forest. Yes, I think often when we think about being a survivalist or prepping per se, we don't think about a food forest or we don't always think about growing our own. We think about heavy canned goods and things like that. And so I think today's episode is going to be a nice, bright, optimistic approach to understanding how you can feel empowered at this time of risks of food security and really understanding your role and your connection in providing food for your household. Yes. All right. Before we get into all that, let's talk a little bit about our upcoming event, the Wellness in Wimberley workshop. Yes. I can't think of a more organic element uh, to support you in sustainable approaches to wellness and also to learning about the importance of where your food comes from than to participate in our Wimberley Wellness Workshop. So this is a two-day workshop that will be taking place on May 20th and 21st. And this is going to be from 11 to 2.30 on each day. On Saturday, there is going to be a functional medicine lecture that I'm doing, and then we will be breaking out into small groups talking about blending flavors with real foods, so learning about how fats, acids, and salts, and sweets blend together to make magic, culinary magic that is, on your palate, and really understanding that when you're using whole food ingredients, you can make them even tastier than items that you purchase at the store or at a restaurant, while avoiding industrialized oil and ensuring that you're eating in an anti-inflammatory approach. Then we will break out for a four-course lunch of some of my favorite food as medicine recipes provided by my naturally nourished market just right up the road from where we'll be meeting for the workshop. And then we'll close out that Saturday with a fun, interactive, live Q&A style podcast where you can literally ask Becky and myself anything. We're going to answer these questions on the fly. It's going to be a fantastic time to make sure that you feel like all of your wellness needs are addressed. Following that, we have an option of heading over to Naturally Nourished Market for a healthy hour where you can join us with our families, sip on some low toxin, biodynamic, and organic sustainable wines, and check out all of my favorite products and vendors at the Naturally Nourished Market. Then Sunday, we are doing a cooking class that will be interactive, Becky and myself, from 11 to 2. And then, of course, during that end of that class, we'll be sitting down and eating the four course menu that we provide. We'll be making my lion's mane leek soup with bone broth and troubleshooting how bone broth can 
be made correctly. If you've had any issues with getting it gelatinous or flavor profile, a little sour, any issues like that. We're going to talk about uh, different forms of leafy greens in a farmer's market spring salad and blend up a gremolata, nice bright spring uh, parsley, basil, herbaceous dip that we'll massage into our salad with some olive oil and coarse salt and watermelon radish and all sorts of fun, unique seasonal produce items. We are making a pan-seared skin-on bone-in chicken thigh dish with turmeric and coconut and uh, talk to you about how to make a pan sauce reduction, which is really a nice way to elevate your at-home cooking to total restaurant status and beyond. And then we're going to be rounding things out with a lower-carb key lime tart and talk to you about, of course, why we don't use non-caloric sweeteners and the elements of metabolic flexibility to yield your goals for optimal blood sugar balance and body composition change while producing ketones but not stepping into the fake food world. So we can't wait for y'all to attend. This is going to be our only in-person event that will occur this year. Again, it's Wellness in Wimberley. It's open to women and men. Um, So this would be a great time to bring your husband to get him on board. If you've been talking about, well, Allie says this or whatnot, great for them to learn from the source, neutralize it, and have a whole lot of fun in the process. And then participants will be getting a travel guide from us on different lodging opportunities, my favorite restaurants to grab a reservation for those evenings, and there'll be optional morning movement add-ons as well. It's going to be so much fun. There's so much to do out in this area, whether you're sticking your feet in the river or zip lining through the valleys or horseback riding. We're going to give you resources of all fun activities as well that you get to do on your own agenda. We just have you locked in from 11 to 2.30 on Saturday and Sunday. Again, that's May 20th and 21st. As we're speaking, we have just a couple spots left and we are really excited to sell out and engage with just 50 of you intimately. Again, can't wait to address all of your burning questions. This is a really huge value at just $375 for both full days and um, includes all of the yummy food too. So I think it's going to be a total blast and can't wait to meet you in person. Yes, it's kind of a build your own retreat sort of vibe and we cannot wait to have you all there. Yes, I think y'all will make some great friends with like-minded community and also see potentially those of you that have participated in prior events revisits of friendships that you started from years prior and always important to during these times ensure that we have a good sense of community and uh, other people on our team to support our wellness goals so can't wait for you all to attend going over to AllieMillerRD.com and grab your tickets just 375 for this two-day amazing workshop all right Let's take a quick second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods, which I think is a really good fit for today's topic. Yeah, Wild Foods will be at the event. You'll get some of their stuff in your swag bag, and they are at my markets. You can shop all of the things that we talk about, but don't wait till then. You can go on over to wildfoods.co, that's .co, to shop our favorite food as medicine staples in our pantry. So they have anything from organic wild wild harvested turmeric to medicinal mushrooms to quality coffee that is tested to be mold free. You can use the code AllieMillerRD for 12% off of your order. And this is really important when we're talking about in today's topic on 
food sustainability, access to quality ingredients. Our friends at Wild Foods believe, like us, that real food is medicine, and they painstakingly source from small farms around the globe. So they're not using these large industrialized approaches to sourcing. They are making direct relationships and paying the ranchers and growers that create the product and offering it direct to you. Some of our favorite products are their wild vanilla, which is a fantastic hand-harvested whole vanilla bean powder that you can use in uh, your coffee to make an upgraded latte. I also like to use this in baked goods, and then you're not dealing with glycerin or alcohol as a derivative from a vanilla extract. They have my favorite matcha on the market right now. So their wild matcha is from Stone Ground Green Tea Leaves. And this ensures that you're getting 10 times the amount of L-theanine, as well as EGCG, some of those antioxidants that we've seen favorable for body fat burn, and high antioxidant capacity to offset inflammation. So love that product as well. I am a big fan of their entire tea line. Um, You know, when we look at their teas, they have various blends like a coconut chai, which incorporates red rooibos and ginger and coconut flakes with crushed chili. They have a Thai ghee tea, which is a green rooibos with ginger, lemongrass, and lime. I love to sip on that as it gets warmer as an iced beverage. And then today, actually, as we were recording our podcast, we were sipping on a black tea from them as well, the Twilight Black Tea. So all sorts of excellent offerings over at wildfoods.co, not .com, .co. And I will call out one more product, the Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir. A lot of you listeners have, have given this a try and I've heard amazing rave reviews and feedback. This incorporates wild cacao and reishi and chaga mushroom extracts. So you're getting that adaptogenic support and immune support. Uh, also, we're getting raw maca powder here. And so maca, very tonifying for sex hormone balance and libido boost, and then wild turmeric to add more anti-inflammatory effect. This is a lovely, sippable, almost kind of chocolate beverage, as you will. So it could be like sipped on like a hot chocolate or could be thrown into a smoothie as an option to add that chocolatey flavor with those high antioxidants and that nootropic or brain enhancing effect in the synergy of these antioxidant rich ingredients. Um, Again, go on over to wildfoods.co, use Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 12% off of your order. All right, I'm going to read Jim's bio and then we'll bring him on the show. Jim Gale is a passionate advocate, teacher, and speaker for the decentralization of society's most important pillars, food, water, energy, money, medicine, and education. He imagines a world of abundance with edible landscapes, local power, clean water, food as medicine, and permaculture education everywhere. Food Forest Abundance was established in 2020 as a way to help people grow their own food and has blossomed into a global movement to help people become more self-reliant. Since their official launch on Earth Day of 2021, they've expanded throughout most of the United States and into 15 other countries. All right. Welcome, Jim. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Thank you, Allie and Becky. It's so wonderful to be here. I'm very excited to share this message with your audience and uh We do. We have the solution to all of the world's biggest problems. And now we just need to inspire mass adoption of the solution. 
I love it. And I love your enthusiasm. I actually first heard you and found out about you on children's health defense. And I think it was called food security is national security as a, I don't know if it was like kind of a group orchestrated webinar or whatnot, but I'd like to really kick off here before we talk about what a food forest is. I want to first touch on, you know, what in our food system is serving as a threat to national security and really discuss some of the most recent threats we've seen in our food system and and things that listeners should be aware of and, and kind of stay on top of. The foundation of our enslavement is the centralized control and poisoning of our food supply. We are at war. Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, the first rule of war is to know thyself and know thy enemy. Mm. And this is a question we don't ask ourselves very often. Who are we? And the answer to that question for me has been the most liberating. It's been the most liberating question I could ever ask. Because when we dig into who we are and we realize that we are more than this temporary experience, that we are eternal, Mm. that we are spirit, we are part of the creation of everything at some level then it frees us from the fear, which is the metaphysical control mechanism. So you've got the physical control mechanism, which is food, which creates disease and disease and destroys our world on all sorts of levels. And then the metaphysical, which is fear. Mm-hmm. When we recognize and realize how to overcome those two enslavement tools, then we earn our freedom. I love that. And let's talk a little bit further on, you know, this kind of like, I I think that concept of disempowerment through food. Um, So many people are so dissociated from the food system. And and quite frankly, I use the term chemical shitstorm. That's one of my favorites. Are we eating real foods at all? Or are we eating, you know, chemical products of the industry? Um, You know, I know over the last couple of decades, we've really normalized consumption of non-foods being falsely sold to us as foods in the first place. Um, What are you kind of seeing there and and why does real food matter? Well, the food, in fact, Bill Molson said the agriculture taught in colleges and universities around the world was the most destructive teaching ever. And he was right. We are taught at the the farmers of old were the food suppliers of old. Now, the farmers who are using poisons to grow food are now the destroyers instead of the builders of our world. Mm. And I am not meaning to shame the farmers. I've never met a farmer that doesn't have good intentions and love their family and simply want what's best. And and that's why farmers are suffering. And that's why a lot of kids and younger people aren't going into farming because they recognize something isn't right. Mm -hmm. They recognize the poisons and the toxins and the destruction that they're causing. And they say, I don't want to be part of that. Right. And the coercion and manipulation that has went into these systems using shame and using these tactics to coerce people to use poisons. Well, that's the bad news. The good news is that farmers are waking up all over the world right now. I love it, Dan. You're just going right for it. Um, I wanted to um, ask you about, I saw this um, social media, or I guess it was an Instagram post where you quoted 
None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. Um, I think you just kind of touched on, on that concept, but what does that really mean to you, especially in this world of, of talking food security? Yeah. So about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I had already partially red pilled. I'd become aware that the world is controlled by psychopaths. I, I was not yet aware that there are, is some type of evil force that is intent on destroying the world because it didn't make sense to me. It doesn't right. make sense because it's not logical on, on any level until you get the, to the levels of kind of a good versus evil thing or an AI narrative, right? So then when I heard that I was a slave, I actually, part of me said, F off, I'm not a slave. I can do whatever I want. And a slave can't do whatever they want. And then the, the fella proceeded to ask me a few questions. Well, do you pay an income tax? Do you pay a tax on your labor? Yes, I have to, because if I don't, then the school systems and the fire department and all these systems won't work. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the layers of lies that I believe that I was programmed to believe. And then I realized when he asked, <clears throat> do you voluntarily pay a percentage of your labor or is it held up by the force, uh, the threat of force and violence? And that was it for me. As soon as I realized that this is not a voluntary system, but a system that is held up by the threat of violence, I realized that I was a slave and I decided I'm not going to be a slave any longer. So I think taking personal action in your food security is absolutely one of the most poignant solutions. But I just want to kind of call out, as you were talking about transitions of farmers and maybe shifting away from what was passed on from generations to a more modernized, industrialized approach, I think the same could be said to healers. You know, I, I say this often that I don't believe a single doctor gets into the medical field because they don't want to heal. It is the indoctrination and the pharma funded education that destroys <laughs> that integrity. You know, I don't really believe that that's the the fail of the of that human themselves always, but kind of one of these uh, turnstile education stamps that uses algorithms and yeah. um, really kind of dumbs down the unique biodiversity of of what is human health. And same could be kind of likened in the way that food grows. A hundred percent. And they use a, um, a science called neuro-linguistic programming. Mm -hmm. And this is a very established silent silence now uh, founded originally by Bandler and Grindler back in, I don't know, uh, 50 years ago or 40 years ago. They started showing that when they use the certain combination of words spoken in the certain ways repetitively, then it becomes a program where all of a sudden we are, in essence, we've got a bunch of NPCs running around, which means non-player characters. They're simply characters that live social roles. They're always in one social role or another. They're almost never present. Presence, the power of now, the ability to have a mind free of the programming is actually the solution that, you know, when you look at the spiritual leaders throughout the history of humanity, the most famous ones, they meditated. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> right? And why? 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 Why do you meditate? What is meditation? It's so fundamental to simply have a mind that's free of chatter because it's the gap in between the programs. That's where the true wisdom is. That's where, if you want to call it God, and I do, I, I was raised that way, but people can call it anything they want. But that's where the wisdom is. That's where God is in the gap between the thoughts. Hmm. I love it. Um, before we get into what food forests are and and some of your work there, um, let's just touch on how fear can um, disempower or actually enslave us. And I think you know this is poignant coming out of COVID and the pandemic and and whatnot, even more so now. Yes. So fear is the control mechanism and all versions of fear, humiliation and shame mm. and arrogance and rage and hatred and what they're creating by using neurolinguistics and programming us to see difference in each other because somebody's got more melanin in their skin than somebody else. I've never met two people that have the exact same color skin, right? right. The right. amount of melanin don't make a, it means nothing to me. It's a matter of the content of their character, as Martin Luther King said. Um, so what they do is they they point at um, these differences and they say that these differences are somehow valid and then they add emotion to it and then they add their, their wickedness. Um, in fact, fear, I like to talk about fear. Fear is a contraction of creativity. It's a mm. contraction of energy, of spirit, of ability. It's a contraction of health. Fear is a form of dis-ease. And this is also very scientifically shown that when somebody is living in a form of anxiety or fear, they produce chemicals in their body that actually destroy their body. So if there's only one reason to let go of fear in our lives, it's because it will kill you. <laughs> fear, You're speaking my language for sure, Jim. <laughs> right? Fear is the ultimate killer. Mm -hmm. And I have a book called The Anti-Anxiety Diet, actually. And one of my main pull quotes from that is that anxiety or mismanaged chronic stress is the Achilles heel to wellness. You know, and I kind of go into all of those various mechanisms on gut microbiome and epinephrine or adrenaline signaling and all of that physiological effect that we can have from just mismanaged or unharnessed anxiety, racing thoughts and, and fear being a, a huge driver there for sure. Yes, it is the driver and the wicked evil knows that and they're going to play with it forever. And that's what they've always done. They always said you need protection, right? It's a mafia technique. It's the rulers of old. Yeah. You, if you don't have protection, then you're in trouble and then they'll create the trouble and then they'll offer the protection against the trouble they created. So should we be fearful of these dairy farms that are exploding um, or these various large food producers having these what seemingly uh, randomized incidents that are likely going to threat pricing? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, what, what does that mean? Somebody just asked me, I think it was yesterday, I made a comment, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And then somebody wisely said, so we shouldn't fear the mRNAs going in all of our meats and all of our products and going in our food. And I said, absolutely not. Just don't eat it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I, wonder I like, I don't fear rattlesnakes, but I also don't pet them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Right. <laughs> and I wear boots when I walk in yes. tall grasses and yes. I look for a step. Yes. Yes. And I wonder if listeners, even we haven't really called that out on the podcast, the mRNA stuff um, in the food. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Jim? And it's some so, light. It's What's happening. Just, it, 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 so there's so many next levels that have happened over the last six months and two years. Yeah. That there's part of me that's just loving it because when people become aware that they are doing this, then they go, wait a minute. I didn't say, or even hear about that. There's no vote on that. Like to, they're actually injecting meats and poultry and livestock with the vaccine mRNA, which there's so many theories about this that I don't know which one's true, and which one's not. But the fact that they're in taking something, a natural process, and they're then throwing in an incredibly unnatural process and mm -hmm. claiming it to be good while we're experiencing massive sudden deaths, while the birth rate, the fertility rate is going plummeting, while the um the the infant deaths are skyrocketing while all these negative things are happening autism going from one in thousands to one in 40 or so from diabetes and cancer and heart disease all of these things are skyrocketing and yet the same people who have paid billions of dollars in criminal fines who mm -hmm. have been found guilty in courts of criminal law the same entities are dictating the narrative and they also want depopulation on stage. They talk about depopulation. Right. Billy Gates held up a vial of vaccine and he said, if we do a good job with this vaccine, we can decrease the world's population by 10 to 15%. Yeah, that's wild. And it's interesting. So I have a natural foods market here in Hill Country in Texas, and we only have grass-fed, grass-finished meats that are Texas raised. Uh, we are really on top of vetting all of our ranchers, all of our growers, et cetera. And I had someone come in and say, so does this mean that we can never eat at a restaurant? And I looked at them point blank. And I really think that for listeners, because, because I do believe that fear is an ultimate driver of disease as well, yeah. uh, that this is just an opportunity to magnify the light, um, yes. and to drive personalized empowerment. And so, you know, I said the same sovereign God that, is allowing this to happen is the same sovereign God that has your back. And, you know, at the same time, yep. we're also potentially being served lab meat, which was approved by the FDA lab grown chicken. And so the, the question is, can you ever eat at a restaurant? Likely, yes, because I think that we have robust ability to be quite resilient during this time, but we have to adjust those levers that we do have sovereignty over and hold those <laughs> with a intensive, intentional force or purpose, you know, without allowing that that level of then shifting into screw it, I'm powerless. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely know that faith and courage are the armor of God. I've, I've heard that and it just hit me. like It just struck me so profoundly. There's a frequency to faith, to wellness, to courage. And there's something about the frequency. Tesla said this. He said, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. But I, I think they changed a the word. Don't think 
in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration, but feel or experience the moment. Believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ex yeah, experience the frequency of this present moment and you can feel it. It's palpable. It's amazing. And then when we live in that now, in that presence, in that health and joy of the present, then there's something massively empowering about that. Just like our gut biome, when it's healthy, we can take those poisons and our gut biome can actually eat them out and poop out a nutrient. Mm -hmm, <laughs> we can mm -hmm. take radioactive material using plants like hemp and turn it into nutrients, right? So it's, it's about the overall system being in balance and then the toxins will not affect us. So, so wild. And, and, you know, I think proof that God provides, right? Yes. Like, it's all there. It's um, all yeah. Let's, let's get into it now and talk about um, what it is that you do. What is a food forest and how does this serve to combat all of this evil that's going on in the world? Yes. Uh, a food forest is a diverse living system of plants designed to produce the maximum yield at the lowest amount of inputs at a very minimal energy input. It's a system that layers food production. So in a typical farm, you've got one layer of food production. You've got either potatoes underground or corn above ground and everything else is useless. You take out that one piece of the plant, you till in the rest and then you start over the next year, depleting the soil every single year. And that's why they rotate and do different things. When you put in a food forest, you've got layers of food. So you've got your roots and tubers underground, um, sweet potatoes and potatoes and juca and taro and turmeric and um, ginger and many more. I mean, really thousands and thousands more. Then you've got your herbaceous layer. And this is where I love mushrooms um, and a lot of different um, medicines here. And you got your understory bushes in your taller bushes and shrubs, your understory fruit trees, and then your taller fruit and nut trees. And then you've got your vines going up through the whole system. So now in an area, doesn't matter how big it is, it could be 50 square feet or a whole country. Now you've got layers of food stacked into one area. Some plants are gonna love shade. Some plants can't grow in the sun. Other plants need full sun. So you combine these guilds. A guild is a community of plants that support each other. You've got nitrogen fixers and beneficial insect attractors, like a lot of flowers. Mm -hmm. And you've got the chop and drop plants where they grow so fast and they grow in poor soil, you just chop them off, you let them drop, and then that builds soil. And then you've got your primary food producing plants. So that's a food force. It's like the Garden of Eden. Looking at a beautiful um, diagram, I think, of all the different layers that you're talking about from your website. So I'll make sure that we link that so our listeners cool. can kind of get a visual there. Awesome. And so where do people start? What would be the, the top priority in starting a food forest? The most important first step is design. A food forest landscape blueprint is, well, put it this way. I, I've been in this for 15 years and I don't know Florida that well because I was in Costa Rica for 12. And so I've got four different design teams that I've hired over the last year and a half to help me design 
the landscape at Galt's Landing. And Galt's Landing is where we are building a completely off-grid community. It's got a private 400-acre lake and a, a runway to the east. And it's the intention for this community is to demonstrate freedom. World leaders are already coming, um, especially in the medical freedom movement and different places. They're already coming to experience the life inside of a food forest. Um, so I don't know if I think I got off track on your question. What was your okay, question? Design, you said design. I was asking about oh, the yes. top priority. Yeah. Yes. Design is the first step. It's like building a house. Mm -hmm. And when you start with a house, you get your general ideas, but it takes an architect who knows how to build a house to make sure it's structurally sound. And that's exactly what our permaculture designers do. Permaculture designers have made it their passion to learn how to put guilds together according to the zone, the wind, the rain, the sun, and all of the different factors of the yard of and of the of the person's vision. And mm -hmm. this is where it gets really fun is I've never met anybody who, when we're going through the design process, that knows how many plants they can actually plant. Everybody is surprised when they realize that there's 10 times more potential plants that will be able to be grown in their yard than they realized. And so how about for people? Well, one thing I think is funny to note, just when I was looking at your website, a lot of the steps are like, first check with your HOA if you can do this in your front yard. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, same thing with chickens. Check with your HOA. That, that comes back to that like silly irony of like, do you own your home? <laughs> is that your yeah. land that you're living on? Um, but, you know, Becky and I both have uh, chickens and um, raised bed containers. Uh, I have 18 fruit trees. Um, but, you know, looking at your information, it's like, okay, well, can I build off of what I have? Um, and do you have to start from scratch or for listeners that are doing some of these elements, how do they start to kind of link the elements that already exist, I suppose? Yeah. So that's what permaculture design is. Every design is custom and you always start where you're at. Like where we started in Florida 13 months ago in our main area, we started with inert sand. So we actually had a cattle pasture and we wanted to build up the land. So we dug this four acre pond and we built up the land where the houses go by six feet. Most of the soil that came in as fill and it averaged about 10 feet underground. So it was lifeless sand with not very much microbiome. Mm -hmm. And in 13 months, we now have a rocking food forest. And how did we do that? We started by layering. We put mulch on everything. You never want your soil exposed to the sun and the wind and the rain. And then where we designed the food forest into the system, and then we layered soil where the plants were going to go. So we started with mulch and soil. Then we added beans and peas and uh, cattle pea and pigeon pea and all the different legumes, perennial peanuts and everything. And then, so now we started building nitrogen and life back into the soil. And, 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 and then be we like called cover crop, right? For some yes, or cover yep. crops. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. So no, 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 crop, that, that's was... cool. I, yeah. I might've got on a ramble there. I don't know. What... <laughs> You're good. So after the cover crop, you're starting to now induce yeah. 
some life into the soil as far as not just treating as a dead anchor, but we're starting to then create some activity and, and also some nutrient symbiotic exchange from those plants to big time. Yeah. And yep. And all the beneficials, the Mexican sunflower, the moringa, the comfrey, and, and a lot of flowers where I'm more of a fan of flowers all the time because the amount of butterflies, there were no butterflies in this area before. And now it's just, it's like a butterfly garden. And, um, and this is, just, this is 13 months in starting with a horrible start, a horrible canvas. And we've also got bees. And in six months, we've har harvested 20 pounds of honey. Wow. Awesome. And then if you have room for a pond, even a tiny pond, you know, a hundred square foot pond, if you can get one to be at least, you know, six, seven, eight feet deep, then you could put fish in there with a little bubbler at first. And then you can use the water of the pond. So we actually put 14,000 fish in our pond with uh, seven different species, sunnies and crappies and bass and catfish and mosquito minnows, shiners and fatheads. And we created this whole ecosystem. And now we use the water from the pond on a solar automated timer to fertigate, which means to fertilize and irrigate the food forest. Amazing. I'm starting to see the, the vision coming to life. Yeah. Um, and are you suggesting that people do this instead of like their green lawns that they have to mow and <laughs> maintain all the time? Right. Uh, the lawn, there's 44 million acres of lawn in the United States alone. The lawn is the most destructive. It's the foundation of our enslavement. There's more poisons and chemicals that go into a lawn than any other crop. And if we simply took out the poisons and then used food producing plants instead of ornamentals, if that's all we did, we would change the world. But then when you add permaculture design, you design in the beauty and the function to the max. And it is literally paradise. It's, it's the best form of insurance. It's like having a bank in your backyard. You know, people say food doesn't grow on trees. They don't have the trees I have. I mean, money. <laughs> they say money. I'm sorry. Yeah. Money doesn't grow on trees, but wealth grows on trees. I love it. And let's take a moment and uh, define permaculture, Jim, because we've talked about, like I said, biodynamics. We've had guests on. We've talked about uh, regenerative soil uh, operations and that symbiotic relationship of ruminants with gardening, et cetera. But what is permaculture defined by and what are some of its elements? So permaculture is permanent culture. It, it's a design science founded by Bill Molson and David Holmgren about 50 years ago. And it's a set of ethics and principles. And I'll share with you some of the principles if you wish. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. The 12 principles. So it starts with observing and interacting with your environment. If somebody is diseased and they walk outside barefoot, as long as there's no poisons on the ground and they just stand and observe in presence, it's literally going to heal. It, it, this is proven. The act of looking at a flower or walking through the jungle or a forest is a healing experience. And then you're also learning nature is the best teacher. Mm. And then we catch and store energy. So permaculture is really an energy science where we find out where we can get the biggest yield. And that's the third principle is obtain a yield. A yield is when you have excess energy and then you can use that energy and then more and more comes. You know, nature system or God system is infinite in its ability to create abundance. You can count the seeds in an apple 
but you can't count the apples in a seed. Hmm. And number four is apply self-regulation and accept feedback. This is simply being willing to look at our own actions and how we are interacting with our environment. And when something isn't working, then we make changes, right? Small steps, little steps, use, um, use and value renewable resources and services as well, right? So how do we take a piece of the puzzle and use it multiple times? Like in Costa Rica, we used our water four different times, right? We started in the shower, then it went in, uh, it ran through a, um, a, an aquaponics system where we had fish and then it ran into the chicken coop and then it ran into the food forest, right? So <laughs> multiple layers of use. Mm -hmm. um, another one in permaculture is produce no waste, design from patterns to details. And this is a lot of fun for me. I've been thinking about this perspective um, from a global perspective for quite a while and asking the question, how do we catalyze a shift in awareness that leads to mass adoption of permaculture? And when we do, we solve all the world's biggest problems. And now we're starting to get the details on the ground to affect that change. I love that. And it's interesting. I mean, just thinking of patterns as, a visual, I tend to see a lot of kind of spirals or different shapes utilized in permaculture design. Is there any methodology to that? Is it just aesthetically pleasing? <laughs> What's the story behind that? So um, form follows function, right? So the most important thing is to create a, a functional system that also looks beautiful. And depending on so I'll give you an example. In our primary permaculture pathway, it's all designed to be kind of look like a design landscape where people see it. They see the contours and the shapes and all the different beautiful plants and the flowers. And they're like, that is so beautiful. And then on another part of our farm, we have what's called centropic agroforestry, which is simply rows of food, right? They're four, five, well, no, they're eight feet apart and they're four feet wide. And we've got like five of them and they're about maybe a hundred feet long. And they're not as aesthetically pleasing because they don't have the waves and the shapes and maybe the same type of contour layouts, but they're incredibly functional. So if you want a no maintenance food forest, you can simply put rows of food on your property and you can let it go and it'll just produce more and more food over time. If you are okay doing some maintenance, like a normal landscape in an HOA type of community, then you can design it to be super fancy looking. It'll just be the same maintenance as your current landscape. Okay. So there's kind of like entry level and then there's the permaculture plus, I guess, if you <laughs> yeah. will. There, yeah. There's maintenance and no maintenance. There's sure. no maintenance food forests and ones that you have a little bit of maintenance on. I'm curious, what are some of your favorites? I don't know, plants in general. What are some of yeah. your favorites, um, cover crops and, and kind of functional plants? And yeah. what do you, what do you always make sure a food forest has in it? I love my living salad bar. Um, I eat all sorts of food. I, I, um, I eat chickens and beef and fish and, and honey and all that. Um, but if there were one piece of the puzzle that I would say was the most valuable, 
um, for many different reasons. And I'll get into some of the reasons. It's it's the living salad bar. We've got sweet potatoes and cranberry hibiscus and longevity spinach and Okinawa spinach and um, sweet potato leaves all in this one area. And anytime we want, we can go out and get a massive salad to feed dozens of people. And it just keeps coming back and back and back. And that salad with all of those different plants is incredibly nutrient dense and delicious. And it looks beautiful. Um, and of course, sweet potatoes, you can eat the leaves, the stems and the potatoes. So in that one little area, it's the biggest bang for the buck. I love it. And that's often where I'll encourage people to start in mm -hmm. their own gardens of yes. maybe you start with like containers of herbs. And then the next level is like, just grow what you would need, you know, to harvest a daily salad. And I love that being able to just step outside and pick your salad versus having to rely on driving to the grocery store. Yep. Yep. And it's so freaking amazing to walk in with people and just take five or six different leaves and, and hand it to them. The moringa, the cranberry hibiscus and longevity spinach. And I go here, eat this together. And they'll be like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you don't even need dressing. I, I still love dressing, but it tastes so good. And it looks beautiful with all the different colors. I love it. And I'm curious of kind of the interplay between the plants. So when I look at some of the stuff of uh, project images and, and whatnot, a, a lot of it to me as a novice uh, looks like zero scape in the sense of a good amount of, like you mentioned, mulching things or gravel. Um, I'm curious if that's playing into the permaculture design as a contribution of water drainage um, or, you know, what the best methodology is to do between, for instance, like raised beds or your primary food production space in the kind of interplay area, if you will. Yeah. Um, I love perennial peanut and there's like um, creeping, um, there's mosa and then there's uh, creeping thyme and there's a lot of different ground covers. And then I, you know, if you're going to put stones in a system like this, within a couple of years without maintenance, they're going to be covered up. The, the plants mm -hmm. are going to take over. Mm -hmm. Um, so rocks are different things. If some people want to put a little geotextile down, if they want a pathway that's kind of regularly traveled, um, a little geotextile. And then we use, because we're in Florida, we use seashells. So when it rains, instead of having the toxins from asphalt or concrete, it actually mineralizes the soil. And then it's bordered by these perennial peanuts, which the flowers, these yellow flowers are edible and walking on them with bare feet feels amazing as well. I love that. Yeah. I just wrote down geotextile because we spent hours <laughs> weeding between our gardens. We just moved on this property and we had the beds going since last October and um, out here in Texas, we worry about high grasses for snakes. And yeah. so, you know, we're like, okay, we want to be able to pass between our beds and be confident where we're stepping, but not have as much, much maintenance. So it sounds like that might be a best approach there. We've done the like cardboard solarizing of like burning out um, in yep. spaces, but some resistant weeds are just quite <laughs> resistant. Yeah. So that's, that's probably what it sounds like. The geotextile would be something to go for there. Yep. Yep. A uh, geotextile style that's meant so plants cannot bust through is uh -huh. really effective for years. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, let's talk fruit trees, maybe. Um, I, we were watching a beautiful video of um, you talking over imagery of like peaches and grapes and all of the things. Um, but 
I think a lot of our listeners are working on maybe raised beds or, you know, herb planters, but maybe fruit trees seem like a bigger investment or, you know, more intimidating, if you will. Why are yeah. they important and and where do we start? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I now that I know and I've been doing this for a while, fruit trees and nut trees are the easiest way to grow an abundance of food. As far as return on investment, you can go to the nursery and you can buy a fruit tree in a 15 gallon pot, mm-hmm. put it in the ground. As long as you've got a guild around it and you've got good soil permaculture style, that fruit tree will double in size or more. Sometimes they'll 10 X within 12 to 15 months. Now, if you go to the, uh, the same nursery, and buy the fruit tree that's now that big in a 30 gallon pot or a 45, it's mm-hmm. going to cost you two or three times the money. So yeah. you just doubled your money at minimum in 12 months and it's no maintenance. We've got 230 types of perennial plants and many of them different types of fruit trees and nut trees growing and they're virtually no maintenance to them. And the yield, um, I forgot what you said about like how many peaches generally a peach tree provides. What, what is yeah, that? Yeah, 250. Um, and oh. I remember seeing the bushels, but it's it's a lot of peaches. I mean, a, yeah. a mature peach tree. And then when you add good soil, uh-huh. and here's the other thing is amazing. I'm, I'm, I do this thing with the bananas because with bananas, you can see exactly where they stop producing. So the first year, we've got these bananas in the ground about 12 months and you can see them coming and we might have between 60 and 80 bananas on our average rack, but you can see the stem or the heart of the banana um, where it could be 200, but the plant knows based on what its roots are sensing, Mm. how many nutrients that that plant those can support, how many bananas based on the nutrients can be supported by the soil. So next year we'll have double that amount. The year after that, we'll probably have another 50% and so on. So the, the more we build soil, you can have a peach tree with five, 600 peaches on it. Yeah. It's insane. And, um, do you recommend when you first transplant to pull off your flowers and allow that plant to it for the first you know year, focus on its root system, or do you feel if it's fruiting, let it do its thing? You know, it's funny. I have heard that a bunch and I don't have the patience for that. I, I just want to <laughs> eat the fruit. So yeah. I, <laughs> I, because it's about nutrients, right? So instead of not enjoying the fruits of the labor, I will eat that fruit and then I'll just put more compost tea and worm castings in there. Sure. Love it. Yep. It's like the greatest return on investment. I think I'm getting talked into fruit trees here. <laughs> yes. Fruit and nut trees are gold. Um, what about managing pests and even predators? If you have, you know, chickens going on in the, the ecosystem. And and I'm whatnot. thinking of the peach tree, like one oh, of, yeah. the guy who actually helped us plant our orchard out here. He was like, you keep your eye on, you know, because nature knows and all the animals around, especially those birds know also when that peach, that they first do. peach is going to be do. ripe and you go to bed and you wake up and it's gone. I was, yeah. I've been watching a strawberry ripen and the squirrels got to it this morning, I think. So, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So one thing is if you have a lot of diversity and a lot of plants, um, then you're going to get some of them. And the other thing is we're meant to be the stewards and the balancers. The, we are the apex um, of a system. 
And that means that there might be a time when I eat squirrel. There might be a time when I eat the deer that's coming in and eating all of our stuff. Um, it's, it's a matter of balance. Um, so if we have a or gopher problem, yeah, <laughs> we might want to get um, a big gopher snake or a cat or something. Sure. No, that's true. And it's interesting because out here in hill country, Becky's in more of an urban area. When I was gardening in an urban area, we put so much cayenne on our garden. That yeah. was the choice to keep the squirrels away and poor yep. squirrels, but they'd, they would put it in their eyes and then they'd kind of learn to not come back. Um, <laughs> that was the best thing we could do. <laughs> yep. Um, but out here I was saying, because we're on 15 acres, we haven't, well, a, we have an eight foot high fence, but squirrels that would not stop them if they wanted to come in, but they have so many other things to forge on that. They're not even messing around with the gardens. Whereas when we were in an urban space, that was some of the only viable food, yes. you know? And so they were very venomous about, or, or vigilant, if you will, about making sure that they got dibs. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, we're, we love squirrels to some degree, <laughs> but you might want to get a BB gun with a scope on it. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> it sounds too. like a fun hobby, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you compost it and then you, or you eat it. I mean, that's the best thing mm -hmm. is squirrels. And I haven't had one since I was about six years old, but I've got a picture at my grandpa's farm with two squirrels that were like, they looked huge back then. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really good eating if you know how to do it and you can go on YouTube in minutes and find out how to turn that squirrel into something. And then you take the leftovers and you compost it and you can grow even more food. Yep. Can't find squirrel at the grocery store. That's for <laughs> <No>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk a little bit maybe about, um, being off grid and, yeah. Um, I think especially since pandemic and a lot of people getting, I don't know if we call it red pilled, black pilled, whatever, whatever yeah. it is now, but um, just the realization of, of, you know, having your own viable, you know, ecosystem, if you will, and, and food security may mean that you're getting off the grid. Um, and so what does this mean? And, and what are a couple of things that you need to have to truly get off the grid? Well, there's food, water, and energy are the big three and community is just as important. Yeah. So food is easy from my perspective. You design permaculture landscapes in and you put all the details there. Water, depending on where you are, can be real easy. Here in Florida, it's real easy. In Arizona and Texas might not be so easy. So it's especially important to put in redundancy. So you put in the swales to turn your, your land into kind of a water bank. And then you capture all of your rainwater. If you can also have a well, um, wells are the are, are wonderful. So you want redundancy. So you want multiple layers and diversity of ways to, to achieve these. Um, energy, there's a lot of stuff coming that is very, very exciting. But solar in Florida and Texas is phenomenal. Um, and then there's ways to even store energy without batteries, but batteries are great. We've got loads of batteries and then having your own fuel tanks. And then the next level, which we're going towards is the ability to create our own fuel with the decomposing materials on site. So some form of like a biodiesel you're saying from exactly. your crops. Yeah. yeah. There was a yeah. farm out in Washington that my husband farmed at, uh, and, we, they actually made all of their biodiesel. They had another company do it, but it was a 300 acre organic farm. And, uh, man, that was a 
That was the whole thing until I had to drive those trucks into the heart of Seattle <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the highways. It's a different story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very cool. You know, I want to share one other thing. There's, um, I, I did the research a little bit ago and it still blows my mind. 900 million acres of ag land in the United States. And that implies with about what, 300 and some million people that it's like almost, almost three acres to feed one person. Mm-hmm. That's insane when you can feed a whole family on a 10th or a quarter of an acre. Yeah, that's so true. Then what will happen when we take the uh, poisons out and achieve mass adoption of what we're describing here? All of that land will go back to to nature. And then when we design in, and, and by the way, this is what we're doing too. We're designing bird habitats at our property. And when you have all the raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, and all these different seed and plants, and you have the birds, the birds will be the spreaders of the seeds. Yeah. So spontaneous growth of edibles is something that's very possible when you create that environment. Yep. Can you imagine the world in 30, 40 years when, when this is a realization and it's like, it's all going to be so radically abundant and beautiful. I'm very excited about what's to come. I love it. I love it. Yes, you are so hopeful and and um, enthusiastic and passionate about what you do. I love it. Um, is there anything else you want to share, I guess, with our listeners today before we wrap things up and let you go? Um, and also, if you would tell listeners where to find you. Awesome. And uh, so, yeah, what we're inviting everybody to do is to take responsibility for our own lives and that of our kids. And how do we do that? Well, it starts by rising out of fear and all of those negative emotions and having faith and courage and then taking action steps towards self-reliance. And people are asking us almost every day, how can we support your mission? The best way to support our mission is by engaging us to support your freedom. We will design freedom and abundance into your landscapes. And then this is our commitment to the world. We will use the permaculture ethics and we will reinvest the surplus. I've got four daughters. The last thing I want to do is stack billions of dollars of fiat or stack stock Mm -hmm. in the corpse parations that are destroying our world. Instead, we are investing the surplus into designing Freedom Farm Academies, which are basically an off-grid homestead that teaches other people how to be free. So if anybody, by the way, wants to have a Freedom Farm Academy, an off-grid homestead, get a hold of us immediately. That's That's what brings it all home. And, and then engage us or any permaculturalist and then share the message. Mm-hmm. When we share and show our friends and community and neighbors, you know, people come to our place all the time and say, God, you've got so much food growing. And I share with them that if we were the only people growing food, would that be food security? And the answer is no way right. that would, we would need an army to protect our food Food security is when our neighbors are all growing food and maybe they've got a gun on their hip as well. Absolutely. No doubt. Um, okay. Love this so much. So what? let's tell listeners your website. We'll put it in the oh, show yeah. notes, but website, social, and then I have one final question for you. But let's do okay. that first. I love it. So website is foodforestabundance.com. And all of our social media, Food Forest Abundance, our Telegram group, and a lot of different social media, all at Food Forest Abundance. Love it. Okay, Jim, last question. Uh, As Becky and I, by trade, are 
functional medicine dietitians, we like to ask you for your 24-hour recall. So we did this with all of our guests. What did you eat yesterday from when you woke up to when you went to bed? Oh, I love that. It's also a memory exercise. (laughs) Yes, yes. I start eating later in the day now. I usually have my first meal around 11 or 12. And I had, um, we we, uh, harvested a cow and I had eggs. And then we had a, oh, yesterday was Sunday. Um, my wife made a beet juice smoothie and then I, I think, I don't remember what I had after that. I love granola and that comes in a bag and I know it's not quite as good, but I have granola and yogurt. I think I had that for a snack. Okay. And then, oh, I did have a little bit of ice cream, organic ice cream. Um, that's what I had yesterday. All right. And did you have some of that? You mentioned harvesting the cow. Was there beef somewhere in there or that was just the process of the day? Yeah, no, no. We, yeah, I had a steak from the cow, some type of of meat. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Got to get that in there. Got to get your protein. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jim. This has been, like Becky said, such an excellent episode filled with hope and empowerment. Uh, We'll be sure to link your website and social handles so all of our audience can dig deeper into what it feels like to take control of their food system and to start to toggle into what food forest living looks like for them. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you both. Have a great day. And if anybody wants, we'd love to help them grow food. Love it. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.